Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Well, happy Sunday, everyone. Glad that you're here. Did you do your homework? Remember, I gave you homework last week. It's pretty simple. It's work hard, avoid greed, and take a nap. Did you do it? Come on, everyone. So we're, we're in this study learning about how God wants to abundantly provide for us, and he has more than enough to offer us, and often that abundance comes through work. And I know it's like, oh, are you kidding me? Work stinks. I hate my job. I hate my boss. But we're designed in the image of God, and we are designed to be people that work. And when we work, God says, I'm going to provide for you abundantly. But that blessing of work and the abundance that he provides us isn't for us to become greedy to hoard things and keep it for ourselves. We are to work and to use our gifts and our abilities, our investment, our time, our money, our resources to help other people to be generous. So part of understanding his blessing is going, you know what, I don't want to become a greedy person. And also his blessing comes through naps. Praise God, right? Like there's something about working hard and playing hard, right? That we're to be blessed when we stop working. That there comes to be a point in time where we're supposed to stop and rest, and take a nap, and take a vacation. Maybe one of the best assignments some of us could get this summer is, would you take a nap, right? Take a day off. This is a part of how God wants to bless us abundantly. And so just leaning into how he has more than enough to offer us, his blessing comes in different kinds of ways, certainly through work and rest. Here's a question how I want to kind of frame today and where we're going. Why do you invest why do you invest? And we all might answer it differently, but investing is just taking something that we have and investing it. It's putting it into something in hopes that what I put into something, I get out more, right? And so often we talk about investments as regards to money, that we're investing our money into something. And our hopes is that we put our money into something, that the money will begin to work for us and we can get something out of that investment. Some of you might go, you know what, I don't think about investment because I don't got two nickels to rub together, right? And so you're like, I'm just hoping Chick-fil-A opens soon because I just want to have a, you know, I just want a milkshake from a peach milkshake and I'm not thinking about investment or you might be like, I have people to invest for me. I don't know where you are in this, but think of it. Why do I invest? And you might go, I'm not really thinking much about money today. How about people? How do you invest in people? Why do you invest in people? Like, why do you take money and resources and time and energy and put it into people? I think sometimes people do that for selfish reasons, right? You've been a victim of a Ponzi scheme ever before, right? Like, hey, if you sell these candles for me, I, you know, like all that kind of jazz. Sometimes people invest in you because they want to get something in return and you're their project, right? For selfish reasons, people invest. But that's not always why people invest in others. Sometimes we really care about other people, and we know that if we invest time and resources and energy in you, you'll become the best version of you, and in that, you find satisfaction. Why do you invest in people? How about God? Think of this question. Why does God invest in you? You're like, he doesn't invest in me. Oh, really? Yes, he does. God is the source of all investment, right? The reason we do investments here on planet Earth is because we're acting like God. God is an investor. He takes oxygen and invests it in your lungs right now. 
What do you do with what he invests in you? He's invested you with resources and time and gifts and abilities and relationships. He's invested the gospel of Jesus Christ into your life. What do you do with that investment? And when God invests in us, does he do it for selfish reasons? No. It's like God knows that if he blesses us with oxygen and resources and time and talents and money and he invests these things, that when we take what he invests in us and we use it, to become the best version of ourselves, the healthiest, best versions of ourselves. When we do that, it honors him. Like when we grow and become the best version of ourselves with all our gifts and talents, where we're not greedy or self-centered or self-focused, but we take what he's entrusted to us and we use it to become the best version of ourselves, that honors God and puts on display his goodness in us. God invests in us. And so we're going to lean into that today. What does it look like for God to invest in you and me? And so to kind of work through that together, I'd ask you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Open up your Bibles, turn them on electronic or paper. 1 Chronicles 29, you might be thinking, where the heck is that? It's in the history section of the Bible, in the older section of the Bible. If you find the 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, you'll find 1st Second Chronicles. And first and second Chronicles is dealing with the history of Israel, but specifically First Chronicles is dealing with the king of Israel, David, and his history. So we're gonna kind of lean into today how God invested into King David and what King David did with God's investment. That's where we're going. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you today for the opportunity to open up your word and to learn and to grow. You have good things in store for your sons and daughters today. They're either watching online or here present in the room. You're a God of abundance, a God of blessing. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. Your disposition towards us is generosity and kindness. You pursue us. And so today, I ask that your spirit would do its good work among our family that you would convict us of sin, that you would encourage us, that you would teach us, do what only you can do. And we confess to you that we're broken people and we have impure motives and our attitudes and actions are often tainted and yet you're still kind and gracious to us. So help us in this moment. Be present, I pray, in the preaching of your word in Christ's name, amen. So before we get to First Chronicles chapter 29, let's do a little bit of history together. First Chronicles chapter 29. So remember back in sort of earlier in the history of God's people, remember that God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he makes Abraham great, not because Abraham is great, but because God is great, right? And he makes his promise, I'm going to bless you and I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And Abraham's family becomes great. And they have all kinds of resources and they do all kinds of things. So threatening was their greatness that a king enslaved them. And God promised to bless them, so he brought them out of slavery. Remember when God brought them out of slavery powerfully? He showed them and displayed to them all this great power. And he says, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. And instead of honoring God, his people rebelled against him. And so their consequences of that rebellion was a 40-year camp out. Remember, four days of camping, camping is hell. Imagine 40 days of camping. 40 years of camping, right? So it's like this is their punishment, the consequences of rebelling against God. But over time, God brings them out of that camping experience 
into the promised land. Remember when they were in the camping experience, they all lived in tents and so did God. Remember God said, I'm going to meet you and I'm going to be in this tent and you're going to put the Ark of the Covenant in this tent and you're going to gather and worship me in this tent. So God's people are in a tent and God's worship is happening in a tent. He brings them into the promised land and when he brings them into the promised land, he gives them all a piece of property to begin to build homes. And as they're building homes, there's outside nations that are still trying to kind of conquer them. And so they're in this state of building homes and trying to establish life after camp out and defending themselves against foreign enemies. And over time, God brings kings into their lives to lead them and he brings the great King David into their life who has a heart after God. He's a warrior, but a shepherd, great leader. And David leads them into a season of starting to be peace. He's fighting wars, but things are getting settled. And David has this idea in First Chronicles. It's, it's beautiful. He's like, you know, God, we're all living in houses. We've established our homes in the promised land, but you're still living in a tent. We're still worshiping you in a tent. Your ark of the covenant is still in a tent. I'd like to build you a house, God. I'd like to build you a temple. And so he comes to his people in First Chronicles and says, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it on my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. But God said to me, you're not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed Blood. So David sees the investment of God. Track this. He sees that God has been so good to him and to his nation. He sees how God has blessed him. He was a shepherd in a field, the runt of the litter, and God has made him to this great king. Now David has experienced all kinds of success and all kinds of honor. His nation is starting to experience peace and starting to experience prosperity. And David, at the end of his life, is like, you know what, God, you've invested so much in me. Now I want to invest in you. I want to build you a temple which is a beautiful desire. And God says to him, that's a great idea, David, but you're not gonna do it. You have been a warrior and you've shed blood, so you can't build the temple, but your son can. And so David turns to his son and says, and you, my son, Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. If you seek him, he will be found by you but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. The Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. I love this. David knows God's invested so much in him, and now he takes the investment that he's gotten from God, and he's investing it into his son. He's like, I've experienced the goodness of God. I know who God is, and I know how he works, and now I have this great idea, and I'm not allowed to do it, but you're going to do it. Now, son, be strong and courageous. He warns him. He says, if you seek him, he starts to give him sort of this covenant, this formula on one level. Seek him and he will be found by you. Honor God with your life. I've experienced God's blessing because I have honored him. And in that he's honored me. And now I entrust this to you. Be strong. Do the work. Build the temple. I love what happens next in First Chronicles 28. David starts to detail the plans of this temple. He starts to give all the details of what needs to be built and how it needs to be built and what it's going to look like and who's going to serve. All this, it says, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. So David has this great vision, this great plan. I love this because so many of us have great ideas and great visions, and they never become detailed plans. 
just the whim of your heart, your feelings, you're flitting about with this great vision and idea, and you never put it down in writing. God is a God of detail, and we see this a number of times through the scriptures, sometimes chapters of details. And so David has this great desire to build a temple, and then he takes that desire and he puts a plan to it. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what it's going to cost. Here's what it's going to take. Here's all the details of this design, this temple, this desire is more than just a feeling. It's becoming a plan that's going to work itself out over time. And as David works through all the details and the design and the costs and all the intricacies of building a temple for God, he goes back to his son and says, now you, now you heard all the details, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God is with you, Solomon. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Again, he's seeing the investment that God has made in him. And now he's taking all this detail and all this goodness and all that he's absorbed and experienced in the blessings of God and saying, now I'm pouring this out to you, son. Here, I'm handing it to you. I want you to learn this. I want you to see this. Don't get discouraged. God is going to complete this work in you. I've seen him do incredible things in me. Now I want you to see how he's going to do that same thing. But you be strong and courageous and do the work. And I stop and pause when I think about the Bible sometimes. And I try to put myself into the scene and go, what was it like for David? What was this like for Solomon? How did this go? I mean, David has experienced great things from God. He's experienced God's power and God's goodness in incredible ways. David's also made massive mistakes, also made stupid decisions. He's also been sinful in many ways. As he gets to the end of his life and he sees all that God has invested in him, he has this really cool desire, God, you shouldn't be in a tent anymore when we're living in palaces and in homes. You should have a house too. What a great desire. But what was it like for David to hold that desire up to God? And God says, that's a great plan. That's a great desire. You're just not going to be able to do it. It's going to have to happen through your son. I mean, did David throw a little pity party there and stomp around? It must've been really hard that he would never get to see on planet earth, the desire and design that he knew was from God, but he wasn't going to be the one to fulfill. That must've been hard. And yet he invests in his son. And what about Solomon? I mean, Solomon's listening to this. Solomon at this point historically is probably in his late teens, early twenties. He's pretty young. And his dad is the great King David. And his dad's like, Hey son, you know what? I'm not going to be able to do this, but you can. And here's all the details. And it, multiple times he says to his son, you're going to have to be strong and courageous, do the work. He's warning him like, this is going to be hard, son. You're going to do this. And I wonder if Solomon's going, I don't want this assignment. Like, go ask another son. You got a bunch of them. Go find somebody else. Or I wonder if he's like looking at the details and he rolls out the blueprints of what David says to do. And he's like, Hey, Hey pops, um, you know how much this is going to cost? Like this is modern historians say the, the temple that's being built is going to cost billions of dollars. And he's like, Hey dad, great plan, great vision. I'm so excited for it, but who's paying for this thing, right? Like how are we getting the cash? I would imagine Solomon's a little overwhelmed, but I love that David just doesn't give him a plan. Check out what David does next with all my resources. So he says to my son, Hey, you're going to do this. And now he says, with all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, 
bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise stones in various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities, he says. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. I mean, he has a plan and a desire. He knows he can't do it. Why can't he do it? He can't do it because he's a warrior and he shed blood. Do you know anybody, anything about ancient warriors? When they go into a town and they win, what do they do? They take everything, right? Like they take all the gold and all the stones and all the silver and all the resources. And David is a warrior and he's amassed incredible personal treasure. And he's not the one who's going to build the temple, but he has a design and a purpose. And he's like, now I'm going to give all that I have. And the language of this text says he's liquidating his savings account and his retirement. Besides in my devotion to the temple, I'm giving my personal treasures. There's something it's like, David's like, I'm all in. I'm all in. This is God's design and God's desire. I can't do it. You're going to do it, son. But I'm all in. And he turns David turns at this moment in 1 Chronicles and says to his leaders, hey guys, I'm all in. Our God is living in a tent. We now have houses. Our God's living in a tent and, and we need to build him a temple that befits his glory and honor. And it's gonna cost a lot. And I'm all in. And David pushes billions into this. And he says to his leaders, hey, you guys, are you gonna be all in too? And check out what happens. The people rejoice at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. They gave freely and wholeheartedly. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So he goes to the leaders like, hey, here's a desire. I can't do it. Here's a design. I can't do it. Here's my share. My son is going to do it. We got to put all in. Are you willing to be all in? And I think if I was in the room that day, I'd be like, well, you know, have you seen inflation lately? Hey, we're on the cusp of a recession. I'm not sure. Hey, God and David, you know, I don't know. We're, we just came out of camping for 40 years, and I'm just starting to build. I haven't been able to afford a fire pit yet, so I'm saving for a fire pit. And have you seen the cost of sheetrock lately? I'm not sure I can be all in. Hey, soon my kids are going to go to college. I'm not sure I'll have enough. You know, I wish I had enough, but I can only retire at 66 and a half. If I give, I might be able to have to push it to 66 and three quarters. I'm not sure if I can be all in. No. His people said, I'm all in. They gave wholeheartedly to the Lord and the king rejoiced. So interesting that they experienced the investment of God in their lives, that God's protection and goodness was on them. They saw that now all this stuff was to be used. And what happens where I turn, have you turn your Bible right now in 1 Chronicles 29? You have your Bibles? Open them up to that verse, verse 10. Something happens here that's really interesting. This story turns in a direction I wouldn't expect. 1 Chronicles 29. David, in this moment, after raising billions of dollars, says, praise to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks. 
and praise your glorious name. Now, I think this takes a weird turn because if I got up in front of you and we raised billions of dollars for something and everybody raised the money, I'm not sure I would get up and praise God. I think I'd be like, hey, thank you guys for giving. Wow, thank you so much. But David goes, nah, I'm not praising the people. I'm praising the God of the people. And in verse 12, he tells us why. Why would he say that? He says, wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. This is not how I think. I don't think this way. I look at David and I go, wait, David, didn't you put your life on the line going to war and battle? Didn't you accumulate wealth and honor? Isn't this your strength, your oxygen, your abilities? David goes, no. No, everything I have is from God, that he is the source of all of these things. And so now as God has invested these things in us as a nation and we use them for God, God gets glory and praise, not the people that gave, because God is the source of strength and power and oxygen and money. And David continues, he says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generous as this? I mean, David remembers that they were slaves. He remembers that God rescued them. He remembers they camped out for 40 years. He remembered they had no land and God gave them a land. He remembers they were aliens and foreigners, that they weren't entitled to anything, but God protected them and sustained them. Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We're foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all of this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and it all belongs to you. Is that how you see the investment of God in your life? Because I don't. Like, everything comes from God? All the abundance of my oxygen and gifts and abilities and time and money and relationship, all of it's from God and to God and for God. I want to think this way, but it's not my natural disposition to think this way. But this is how David processes all of this. He doesn't see as entitled to it my retirement, my money, my time, my relationships, mine. He sees it all entrusted to him by God. And he continues... I know, he says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have are given willingly and with honest intent. And now I've seen with joy how willingly your people who are, who are here have given to you. It's like he's recognizing that God sees behind, beyond our actions to our attitudes. He's like, you are pleased with integrity. You're testing something. You're, you want honest intent, right? He's saying, you know, it's not just that people gave and that I gave money. It's the intent and the integrity behind it. You know, sometimes we find ourselves giving because it's what we're expected to do. Somebody comes up and asks for money. I guess I got to give it. Oh, this would never happen to you. It's tax time coming up soon and you got to have enough of deductions, right? So you don't give Uncle Sam any more than he's due. And so you give more because you're looking at the tax deduction you're going to get because of what you give. That wouldn't happen to you, right? But it's like God sees that. He sees the intent, the authenticity of our actions and our attitudes and he's testing that in our investments. 
I love how Jeremiah puts this. Jeremiah 17, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and I examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Man, oh man. Is this an investment comment? Like God is investing in you, and as he invests in you and me, as he invests in David, he's testing the heart to look at the intent. And when he invests in us, he's wondering, what are we going to do with his investment of oxygen and of relationships and of opportunities? What are we doing with what he's entrusted to us as he tests us and as he looks at our hearts? If we use what he's entrusted to us for ourselves, do you think he's going to want to entrust more? His desire is for us to use everything we have for him and to see ourselves as a conduit of all the blessings he's entrusted to us, to not hoard it and to be greedy for ourselves, but instead to invest everything we have in him. And when we do that, he willingly entrusts more. Not We give so we get. He tests the motives and the integrity of our hearts. And he wants to see, are my sons and daughters using what they have to honor and please me? Not perfectly, but he looks at David and he sees David has a heart after God. And he's like, David, I can entrust you with more. And then David takes what he's been entrusted with and invests it back. So let's do something fun for a moment. Are you following? Just take a break. Jersey Joe goes fast. Here we go. I want you to think about this. Like today, July 23rd, 2023. That's a lot of 23s. Here at Faith Church, there's probably a rough estimate and actually a pretty small estimate, underestimate, 2,000 adults going to be on campus today, plus 700 people watching us online. So 2,700 people, low estimate. Oh, crud. 2,700 people. Adults, 2,700 adults call the Faith Church family on July 23rd. How many hours does these 2,700 adults have? So 24 hours a day, 365 days a year is 8,000, carry the one, seven, I'm really not good at math, 8,760 hours per year per person times 2,700 is 23 million hours entrusted to the people that are a part of Faith Church right now, adults. How many gifts? How many gifts has God entrusted? How many skills? How many people can work with metal and can do construction and carpentry? How many leaders and administrators, people that care, people that take care of children, people that invest and create, can take and bring order into medical world and innovate in all kinds of gifts and abilities and talents to these 2,700 people? I think it's fair to say we can go infinity. There are so many talents, we couldn't even tally all the abilities of all the people that today, adults, call Faith Church. How about money? An average American today, they say, makes $58,000 a year. So times that by 2,700, 156 million bucks entrusted to the people of Faith Church today at a conservative estimate. What is all of this for? When I make it about me, my kingdom, my inheritance, my money, my time, my relationships, my, 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 or is it about God? 
Do I see this entrusted to me and all of these resources entrusted to us to do something for him and for his kingdom? And what will he do if we use it for him and his kingdom? He will entrust more, not for us, but for his name and his fame. So when we get up in front of you and say, man, there's 300 kids caught in the foster system in Lehigh County. Do we have enough money and resources and time to care for those kids and the people that are caring for them? The answer is heck yes. We're launching a counseling center in 2023. We need 300,000 more to finalize everything. Do we have enough? We need more churches in the Lehigh Valley. We're starting more churches. Do we have enough gifts and talents and abilities here? Or like, nah, you know what? We don't have enough. I mean, I'm not sure. I need a fire pit. Like, really? And I know this is hard. It's hard for me. I get it. This is hard. But when God entrusts something to us, what do we do with it? Do we keep it for us? That's a lot for you and me or for the country club of Faith Church with a good cup of coffee and air conditioning and the band plays you a good music and you feel good about yourself. Or if you come here for the kingdom of God to advance it one person at a time around the valley and around the globe, are there not enough resources just in this tiny little family and a conservative estimate to make a name for God? So David teaches me this. David takes what God's invested in him and invests it back in God and others. It's so simple. It's so hard, right? I'm with you. This is hard. He takes everything that's been invested in him and he invests it back in God and others. And you wonder, like, when he does this and he raises billions of dollars for a temple, at the end of that fundraising campaign, is everyone like, shucks, now, man, I gave away all my money. I got, uh." no, look at what happens. They ate and they drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. They threw a party. It wasn't like, oh gosh, I can't believe it. It's like, no, the kingdom of God through the temple of God is going to advance the glory of God. And because of that, they throw a party. So there's something about living this way that causes you and me to rejoice. So two very simple questions for you today. How much has God invested in you? I mean, you answer for yourself. I don't know. I have no idea. But have you thought about taking an inventory of all that God has invested in you? And what are you doing with it? I don't have the answer. I know what I'm doing with it. And I know there's times I'm making a big mess with it and times I'm greedy and times I'm generous. I'm with you. What are you doing with what God has invested in you? And if you're a follower of Jesus today, do you know how much God has invested in you to pay for your sins, past, present, and future forever? He nailed the debt of our sin to the cross and the blood of Christ paid for the wrath that I deserve. And now I am redeemed and adopted into the family of God. I am forgiven. What are you doing with your forgiveness? Are you just betting on he'll forgive you more? You're just going to keep giving into temptation and doing whatever the heck you want for grace to abound? No. Do you look at your life and go, I've been entrusted with forgiveness. He put his spirit inside me. Now I'm a new creation. I want to use my life, my forgiveness, the spirit of God inside me to make a name for him on planet earth. What are you doing with what God has invested in you? How are you processing this? And I love as you get to the end of chapter 29, it says David died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. I mean, Like, don't you want that? Don't you want that? And and we're taught here how it happens. David takes all that God's entrusted to him. He got it wrong lots of times. He got it right lots of times. He takes all that God invested in him and invests it in God and others. 
And that's why this statement can be made of him. It sounds like when Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. It's the Old Testament version of that. I want that. And it's sort of simple. It's whatever God's invested in you, invest it back in him and others. And you might go, I know the critics out there. Remember I read mine's? What about this billionaire and that billionaire and that, multi, and that person at work that has all this money and they never invest anything in anyone but themselves? I hear you. But if you think that having billions will make you happy, it won't. And, and I say this cautiously and kindly, if you invest all that you have in yourself and while you live on planet Earth, you live in luxury and affluence and fame, but you lose your soul, that your flower fades and you die and spend eternity apart from God, is that worth it? I would argue this, the lifestyle that David is showing us, imperfect as it was, he walked to honor God and take all his investments and used it for the glory of God. And David didn't get to see some of it on this side of earth. He didn't get to see it fulfilled but you know what the Bible says? That when David took his final breath, he was in the presence of God with eternal pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. Eternal pleasures at God's right hand forevermore is worth more than pleasures here that fade like a mist gone. This is the life of King David. And so Philippians 1 tells us God's return on investment. It says, he who began a good work, who's he? God, who began a good work in you, will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Meaning, God will be faithful. He always has been, he always will be. What he has deposited in you, as entrusted to you, in every way, he will be faithful to his side of the contract. Will you be? Will you be faithful? And so my path to abundance this week for you is discover the joy of investing. Discover the joy of investing all my blessings in God and others, not myself. And that's really hard for all of us to not make everything about me. My relationships, are they about me or about God? My health, is it mine or God's? My money, mine or God's? My gifts, my abilities, my brain, my athletic abilities, I don't have any, but some of you do. Like your abilities, where are they? They're for God. And when you invest them in God's plan and purposes, that's when you experience joy. And so some of you are like grandparents. Man, can I encourage you to be a grandparent like King David, investing in the next generation of young people? And maybe you don't have biological kids or grandkids. You can invest in the next generation. What are you doing with all that God has entrusted to you? And if you look at your money and go, God never shows up in my budget. He has no place in this, or I, I have finances to get tax benefits. If you look at that, you're missing the joy and the abundance that God wants to bless you with. You have been entrusted with resources, relational gifts, time, money, every aspect of who you are to invest in God and others. And when you do that, you will experience abundant joy. And he'll only look at you and say, I can trust you with little, therefore I can trust you with much. And so, my gosh, what a great investment plan in the God of the universe. Would you pray with me? Thanks, God, for David's example of imperfection and brokenness, but also his example of faithfulness and integrity. He's a real person who made lots of mistakes. When he faced his mistakes, he repented and turned to you and sought to be different and new. 
Thank you that he invested in his son Solomon. And because of that investment, the temple was built. Thank you that he invested in people and your glory. And now we can look at his example and go, I want to I be that way too. Convict us of where we are selfish. Convict us in areas where we don't see that everything comes from your hand. Where we take credit for our abilities or our abundance. Where we take credit for things that you've given us. Help us to connect the dots, God. That all that we have is from you and to you, for you and through you. We're just conduits and you're looking for sons and daughters. You're testing human hearts, your sons and daughters, to see who's faithful with what's been entrusted to them. So find us faithful. Teach us what it means to see everything we have as yours. And use this family in the Lehigh Valley to make your name great. Not Faith Church, but your name great. Through all kinds of means and all kinds of ways in the valley and around the world pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.